Hi everyone, welcome to the show. My guest today is Jim Karras. Jim Karras, it makes a lot of sense why he's here. He is a popular trainer, nutritionist. He's been doing this for almost 40 years. He has books and he's an author titled Cardio Free Diet, who doesn't love that? The Ultimate Diet Revolution, The Seven Day Energy Surge and other publications. But today we talked to Jim about some other more personal things, and it's his latest project with his daughter, Olivia Karras, and they co-authored a book called Confessions of a Division I Athlete, and she was a gymnast for Michigan. And if you know anything about gymnastics, it's brutal on every level. They start very young, they train for hours and hours every day, five days a week, all year round. They're injured constantly, and he really talks about what you could expect or just have a really transparent conversation as a parent. So they wrote this book together. The other things we even talked about that I loved was, how do you deal with a, one of your other children? Maybe one kid is you know, high octane, they figured out what they like early, the world's celebrating them, and then you have another child who's gotta be the sibling of this person. So we get into all of it and just a very personal conversation by him. So yeah, we talk about being entrepreneurs and some you know, nutrition and fitness tips, but really I enjoyed this conversation talking to Jim, the parent, and what he learned and what he wished he knew then and what he wanted to share with you now. Enjoy. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hello, Ma. Jim, thank you for joining me. Are you in Chicago right now? Where are you? In Chicago. How's is, is summer starting and everyone's by the lake and going full throttle all day long? Absolutely, Gabby. <laughs> I live right on the lake and okay. it's bumper to bumper the minute this time of year starts. It's crazy, but it's nice to feel the energy is back. Yeah, it's true. So I want to get right into, I mean, the reason we were talking today is you have a new book, Confessions of a Division One Athlete, that you I, I don't. I almost feel like you didn't co-write it with your daughter. I feel like maybe you put bumpers around, a framework around, kind of her story and and her work. And because you're an experienced, you know, author and communicator, um, I thought that was really interesting. But before we get into the book, because I have a lot of questions, I would love to know how you, how someone goes from Wharton to you know giving health advice. I understand the connection of knowing what CEOs need, but maybe you could just share some of your journey because I'm always fascinated when people are willing to adapt. You know, they start off in one way and that's sort of a certain trajectory. And then they, they, they sort of are willing to really follow their own passions. Um, maybe you could just share a little bit of that. Sure. For people of a certain age, when I give a lot of speeches, I always say, I started my life wanting to become Blake Carrington from Dynasty. And along the way, I became Richard Simmons. And then the two just kind of morphed together. So truly, Gabby, I was an overweight child, overweight until my 20s, almost 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. So I always struggled. And honestly, a teacher, <clears throat> excuse me, did not show up to an exercise class back in 1986. And I literally said, because I was just discouraged and annoyed because I wanted to work out. If someone has the exercise tape, I'll teach. I've memorized the exercise routine. So I got up there in leg warmers and a tank top and short shorts and taught the exercise class. And then the rest kind of progressed. I became really one of the first personal trainers in Chicago, um, which was unique 
because as you can imagine, having gone to Wharton, my family and my family's friends would, would tilt their head and say, you're doing what for a living? And I was like, you know, I'm an aerobic instructor and I'm in a personal fitness trainer and they didn't know what I was talking about. So from there, it just morphed to becoming a trainer. I got busy very quickly. I started hiring people. And then really around 1999, I got the urge to write my first book, which was called The Business Plan for the Body. It took the analogy of a business plan and applied it to weight loss. And I was extremely fortunate because I got on a program with ABC on Good Morning America called Lock the Door, Lose the Weight. And we locked seven overweight people in a house in the North Shore suburbs here in Chicago in Highland Park and gave them a diet doctor, a nutritionist, a chef, a psychologist who really had her work cut out for her because the people went nuts in the house and me, I was the fitness trainer. And if this sounds like the biggest loser, I must say, I've always believed that someone at NBC saw what we had done at ABC and added the contestant component. And that's what turned into the biggest loser. So I felt we were really maybe the first biggest loser. And then it went on from there. Go back to when you were young and you said that you were overweight. Were you, was it, you know, you talked to a lot of people and and it'll be that, hey, my parents were immigrants, and so abundance was always having food in the house, or we ate the wrong kinds of foods, or um, it was emotional eating, whatever. What do you think was your uh, you know, situation why you got overweight? Because I, I, I often go, well, okay, if you were feeling that way, where was the epiphany that then you were also, besides adding different lifestyle choices, right. what else happened to lose that weight? And why were you there in the first place? Sure. Um, I'm the youngest of two sons. We are Greek. Um, so my family would call me Zimi, which is like the way to say Jimmy um, in with Greek accent. And I was always eating. And I had a Greek yaya who was always feeding me all the time. And I had an older brother who literally, way before men worked out or lifted weights or uh, aspired to look like, let's say, the cover of men's health, he was doing it. So it only made matters worse that he was in this Adonis-ish shape and I was way less than Adonis. And so I struggled on and off for many years. I struggled in junior high, I struggled in high school. And then interesting, my epiphany, since you used that word came, the second semester of my junior year in college, I went to the London School of Economics. It was right before I was about to turn 21. And quite frankly, Gabby, I looked at myself as the plane was landing and I said, you know, you look like crap. All you do is eat crap, you feel like crap. Let's take this new experience, this new environment, mm -hmm. and let's make some changes in your habits. And that was my big shift in my life. And I, and I must say, I started running in Hyde Park and Kensington Gardens in tree-torn gym shoes. And back in 1982, most of the Brits clung their children you know, around them because no one was running back then unless you were running for something you shouldn't have been doing. So definitely it was very odd to be out there doing it, but that's what really kind of changed my personal trajectory and then had me taking classes and then the, the ultimate class where the teacher didn't show up and the rest is somewhat history. Do you think, you know, it's interesting when you talk about your brother, I feel like, you know, I have three daughters, but I feel like everyone sort of plays a role in a family. See, I'm an only child. So I know less about, you know, sort of the dynamics, but they always say, you know, it's like walking in the elevator, everybody takes their corner, you're like, well, that's covered. So I'm gonna do something over here. But obviously you were very bright, you are very bright. And, um, you know, I think there's something interesting though about what you're saying, which is 
a lot of times, if it's just a few tweaks here and there, we just need a new environment. Because everyone then, nobody around us will let us change, right? They'll, they'll be like, yeah. well, you're the guy that this is what you do. You're not the guy who's running and being at the park. So I think it's right. a really important reminder to people that um, given unless you have like something really traumatic and emotional that you have to deal with, that if if it if it could be as simple as a new environment and even a new group of people that we're associating with, that that's what it takes. I think it's hard to make change in a in a constant you know environment. A very valid point because you're pigeonholed. Exactly what you're saying, yeah. and people would say again that it, it, I get shivers up my spine when I hear people say this, you know, Jimmy doesn't play sports. Jimmy doesn't know how to catch a ball. And Gabby, that's really the truth. My yeah. father was an accountant. He was very, very busy. He was never home. And nobody ever taught me how to shoot a basket, throw a football, hit a baseball. Uh, a funny story to share with you. My brother would play Little League and I'm sitting in the stands as the chubby brother, probably eating. And the parents are screaming at the boys when they miss the ball. And they're screaming at them when they you know, get struck out. And my parents looked at me and said, do you want to play Little League? I said, no, why would I want to do that? I get yelled at it up at home. I don't need to get be yelled at by strangers. So I had such a negative relationship with sports, with activity, with exercise, and such a unhealthy relationship with food, which is always so odd given what I do now for a living. And given I have this enormously athletic daughter, I also have an athletic son, and I am not the athlete whatsoever. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. I think there's all kinds of athletes. I think you have people that are, um, you know, I guess they say there's all kinds of IQs, physical IQs, emotional and, and such. And there is an athletic IQ, right? So there are people oh, yeah. who I think they just move and that's what they do. But I think there are athletes, and you said it earlier, where it's just about exposure and maybe they're going to pe be people who practice um, and they're more methodical. Maybe it isn't quite as intuitive, but they still are, are athletes. I just think there's different, you know, different kinds. So you, you get into this field and, you know, you talk a lot about, and I thought this was really important that when you started your business and one of your CEOs reminded you that, you know, there's sort of only so many hours in a day. Um, that you can generate, um, you know, what you do. And I, I always say that to people. I think it's really important that if you're talking about being an entrepreneur in a business, you only have so many hours in a day. So you actually figured out early how to scale your business, train other people. Obviously, it's going to be hard to find people that give the service to the level that you did. I mean, you know, I, I, I read where you said, that you would order people's dinners for them ahead, right. you know, before they would go to the restaurant and, right. and basically take all the choosing out of it. So I, I believed in high touch. I thought if I was going to do this, let's be the best. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or sound conceited in any way, but I'm just the kind of person that if I'm going to do something, I want to do it well. So I really thought, what kind of an experience, and that's so important right now in my industry, people think that fitness trainers, and I really dislike the depiction of yelling and humiliating and you know, really beating people up mentally, physically, uh, verbally, because they're struggling. I mean, this is their struggle. And for me, dealing on such a high level with both CEOs, with celebrities, I mean, you really have to learn how to really 
identify what their hot button is going to be to get them to start to make the changes. You've got to kind of really psychologically maneuver yourself in there, gain their trust, and then really try to give them really quality information and direction. I think you can understand that through experience, but I think that people who have that, it's an intuitive thing that they naturally have, that they understand. And you said this too, that maybe at nine, you need to be one person needs to show up for one client. And then by 1030, someone different needs to show up. And that's like a good coach. I think that some is experience, but I think it's, it's really an intuitive. What would you say to somebody who is taking on you know, they are entrepreneurs. What are sort of some of the principles that after all these years of experience and, and you know, kind of learning through the due process, uh, what are key things for you that um, for any type of entrepreneur? Sure. I really think a plan is essential. I have many people and I have this whole thing about paying it forward because people have been wonderful to me. They've mentored me. They've given me really solid advice. And so I always will ask someone when they, it's a little bit like Shark Tank, which happens to be my favorite show with my son. And we'll I'll literally sit them down and say, what is the plan? How are you going to execute it? How are you going to finance it? What is going to be your differentiation? What is going to make you special and unique that is going to be attractive to a customer, a client, whatever it may be, whether it's a product or a service? You really have to sit down. And I did have the luxury of having gone to business school. So it was kind of drilled into me. And again, I said I had an accountant for a father who just constantly talked accounting and profit and loss. So you right. just have to know what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. I had a funny experience I'll share with you. I gave a talk to some, at a school here to really truly some underprivileged graduates who wanted to get into my industry. And each of them constantly said, you know what I really want to do? I want to help the underprivileged and I want to provide them great service. I said, okay, what's the first thing you need? And they all looked at me, you know, blank. I said, you need a benefactor. You need someone who says, I love what you want to do. I'm passionate about helping young people get healthier mentally, physically, but you can't do this business and you can't help the people you want to help if you can't eat. So you have to figure out a way to make it into a business and then proceed to do what is truly your passion, which is maybe helping those less able to afford the types of things like the types of food, the types of training, et cetera, et cetera. It, it can get expensive, but you can do it the right way if you know where to go. How do you, how did you combine this uh, clearly practical systematic way of thinking? And you have to be a bit of a dreamer to pursue something like the way you did it. How did you blend? Because I think that's an interesting thing. You often see people who are their creatives, they have ideas, and then you have people who can execute. They're lucky if they right. find each other. But you have an interesting blend of both. How did you calibrate that, that part of your personality in your business? Well, I think the first thing I tried to do, since you know I am very transparent when I say I don't have an education in this area that I exist in weight loss, fitness, nutrition, anti-aging, et cetera, et cetera. I just did a, I was a voracious reader and I just felt that I needed to get my hands on every single thing possible. And I learned to be, to really answer your question by reaction, someone would come out with a book. So I immediately would read the book because I assumed that my dozens of clients were going to start asking me about it. Here's an example, sugar busters, 
carrots make you fat. I used to go ballistic when I heard people say this because in the book, the author claims that if you eat carrots, they're too high in sugar, they're going to make you fat. I think we're all aware of the fact that most people struggling with their weight are not binging on carrots. So it was constantly trying to find good information to bring to them. And again, this is before the internet, Gabby. I mean, this is before cell phones. My first cell phone was actually like Michael Douglas in Wall Street, you know, that big brick that he carried, it was like the size of a shoebox. And so it was very difficult to try to find this information. So I would hit the library. I would get tons of magazines and books, rip everything out, photocopy it, hand it out to my clients. I had to keep delivering more and more information. I had to make myself essential in their life. And that's something I think a lot of people miss. A, a trainer or following someone on an Instagram or a site or YouTube videos, you've got to go to someone who's giving you the right information that feels right to you and is working for you. We all know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different response. So that was a really frequent statement that I would say to people is, how are we gonna change this insanity and these behaviors? And I'm a huge believer, it's one step at a time. It is not the big bang theory. Right. Well, especially in this, you know, it goes to, to that whole notion of lifestyle. People really don't, they, it's almost like you can spell it out to them a hundred times and it's like, no, you don't understand. This yeah. isn't for the next eight weeks or the next, you know, six months. So on, on a few of the important, and, and listen, some of it might be fundamental. And I actually think that most things are built on some pretty basic principles for you in movement, your practice of movement and your practice of, of eating what are what are sort of the things that are your your you know the pillars of what you know you for you personally are important sure um i use that word pillars all the time by the way first of all i am the anti-cardio guy my third book was called the cardio free diet and when i originally pitched it to simon and schuster the name of the book was cardio kills I had been watching for years and years, and I used myself as a guinea pig. I was running, I was stepping, I was sliding, I was on the Stairmaster, I was on the bike, I was doing all this stuff, and I was never really seeing results. Then I would look in the strength training room, and I would see men and women in infinitely better shape. I mean, definitely more tone, more muscle tone, better posture, um, leaner abs. And so I said to myself, what are they doing right in that room? that I'm doing wrong when I'm doing all this cardio. And then I started asking questions. I'm, I'm, I always go up to people and say, I'm not a creep, I'm an author, I'm a trainer, I'm in this industry. How much cardio do you do? Literally, Gabby, a couple of men would look at each other and they'd go, I don't know, maybe five minutes, you know, to warm up. So I got this whole sense that, and I looked into the research, muscle is the engine of your metabolism. We are all losing muscle as we age. So my big pillar is strength training is the foundation of your workout program. Then let's add the icing on the cake, whether it be running, tennis, um, yoga, whatever you may enjoy, great, but you have got to hit the weights to keep your metabolism up. And the research again is 100% behind me, but I was early on, I got blasted on TV. People called me dangerous. They called me a quack. I mean, I got a lot of flack. The book hit number two on the New York Times bestseller list. So yeah. it did um, hit a chord, but it, I really stuck my neck out there to say, this is the way you should really approach exercise. And then what my team has been doing for now close to 34 years, that's the exercise portion. As I've gotten older, I'd like to add, 
you need to be kinder to your body. I just turned 60 a couple months ago and you just can't beat up. And here, you as an athlete know this, beat your joints up and do things to your body that your body just no longer likes. So you need to be smart and intuitive and listen to what's going on with your body. With regard to food, I'm a really simple guy. Absolutely no snacking. Um, my sixth book came out and I worked with a really, really smart nutritionist who really sat down with me and explained a lot of the ins and outs of losing weight. And every time you eat something, your food turns to sugar, glucose in your stomach as it digests, and then it spreads out throughout your bloodstream. Then your body calls upon insulin. Insulin is a storage hormone. So then that food that you've consumed that's been digested is gonna be stored in your liver, your muscles, or your cells hopefully to be used for fuel later in the day. Unfortunately for about right now, I'd say 75 plus percent of our American population to be stored as body fat. So my old recommendation, oh, eat those four to five small meals a day, eat three meals and three snacks was 100% wrong if your goal is weight loss. So a big pillar of mine is eat your breakfast, eat your lunch, eat your dinner and shut it down. The only exception I have is if you work out first thing in the morning, get up and eat a piece of fruit, a piece of toast, whatever you'd like, get in your exercise, bam, then bookend with your complete breakfast. So I'm a really big believer that snacking, if we could cut snacking out, we could really reverse our obesity epidemic. You know, Jim, it's so funny that you talk about that because, you know, this whole thing with being, you know, everyone becoming insulin resistance and all of that. And I think for a lot of people, um, another thing that I always really liked is let's say people, I almost feel like sometimes when you get into, and you're very disciplined and we're going to get into that. Like, I love your daughter's point of view about you, like just, you know, hit the line and you're, you're good. And not everyone's obviously like that, but this idea of, of having, you know, even eating windows. So if people can, um, you know, can just say, we say to them, okay, if you can't concentrate because you're distracted by that, you want lunch or you want snacks, then just keep it four to eight or, you know, four to seven or whatever, things like that. So I think that's a, a really important thing. And, and as far as listening to your body, you know, people are afraid to trust themselves. To feel I have a, I already have an artificial knee. I'm 51, but I got my knee at 46 and I was in a lot of pain for probably 15 years. So I think what you're saying is really important. People don't realize the amount of impact because technically, unless we were in, you know, doing these bursts and we were hunting, um, half the stuff we do for exercise is made up BS that we're not really supposed to be doing anyway. Because, you know, so it's like people getting, you know, I love like the newspaper reading on the stationary bike or the treadmill. I just, you know, it's like, I think it's really important. And, 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 you know, when you say that you were ahead or you got roasted, I think everyone who really thinks about it um, has to get flack uh, for stepping out. And I, and I too, listen, I grew up in the eighties and we used to be like, oh, carb it all you want, bagels, this and that. They were, had the big messaging about no fat. No fat. Yep, exactly. And so I really appreciate the fact that you're willing to say, listen, we thought it was, I thought it was like this. I've learned. And now I'm saying it's, it's like this, as far as like the no snacking instead of all the little meals and all these things. So I, um, I think it's, you know, this idea of, of doing, going to school for something, having expectation and then being willing. Cause, cause 
you know, if you're close to your family, I think a lot of people struggle with what they want, their inner d dreams and sort of that yearning and with what the expectation is. So I really admire when people um, are willing to, to trust that. And even when it's in something kind of, you know, it's considered weird, like, you know, fitness at that time, you know? For sure. So I mean, it's, it's, it was totally weird. I mean, people thought we were strange that we were doing these things and it's only X amount of decades ago, but yeah. you're spot on correct. And I so dislike the vast majority of exercise and eating advice. It literally pains me. And I just wish more and more people would give the good information. And let me be honest with you. I've written for Good Housekeeping, O Magazine, a whole bunch of different things. And they tell us to say, you will sell magazines and books if you say lose 14 pounds in 14 days. And you and I know that's not gonna happen. You and I know that's impossible, but it sells titles because people want that quick fix. And yeah. you didn't gain weight in 14 days, don't expect to lose it in 14 days. Yeah, nobody really wants to, to hear <laughs> that, but then, you know, then, you have a, then you'll have a specific clientele. So I'm excited to talk to you about a new company that I learned about in the last month or so called Somavedic Technologies. I'm just calling it Somavedic because it's in my home, it's in my kitchen, and what this is, try to picture this, a round, beautiful, mine is green, they've got other colors, red, blue, even this stunning gold, and it's inside of it, it has precious and semi-precious stones and minerals, but you plug it in the wall, and so it has this beautiful glow and it's a sphere that creates a 360 degree coherent field with a radius of 100 feet and that's in all directions. And this helps the body to better deal with EMFs, geopathic zones, and a lot of other things. And the thing I love about this is that besides that it's beautiful, and I'll be honest, I've had mine going for a couple of weeks in my house. I don't know. I do feel, I don't, I've just been feeling really good. I think this would also be a great thing to put in a workspace. And this is all, you know, created because the founder Ivan was having his own health issues and he was trying Western medicine and he wasn't having all the success he was looking for. So he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and focused on a variety of healing properties. Um, and some of that involved precious and semi-precious stones. And this was the inspiration for Soma Vedic. And it is a true combination of this sort of ancient medicine and technology. It looks beautiful, you feel great, and they have a great offer for you today, and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not getting the experience of like improved sleep, even more energy, productivity, um, you know, you can try that and get that from Somavedic, and if you're not experiencing that, they will give you back all of your money if you get back to them in 60 days. Somavedic also structures water. So this leads to better absorption of water. Therefore, we're more hydrated. So important. They're located in Prague and San Francisco and their devices are all over the globe. So you can really feel like my sleep. I've been feeling it, energy levels, focus. So if you want to give it a go, head to www.somavedic.com. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C dot com. And if you want to save 10% on your purchase, just go ahead and punch in the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y. Let's fast forward. Now we're going to jump off of you and we'll, we'll jump into your daughter, into Olivia. Um, now forgive me, what's your son's 
Evan, is that his name? My son is and Evan, yes. Nickname, Bubba. Uh, Bubba. Bubba, right. Okay, I just right. want to make sure. So this is interesting for me because let's just say I don't know of a sport harder than gymnastics on, on every level as far as starting very young, the amount of hours it takes, the pounding on your body, then to go to a big university, the pressure, the competition. I, I don't know that any other sport in that way, like maybe you have a, a big program of football and there's pressure in a different way, but you have, you have a team. Um, right. so the hours are shorter. Kids don't have to start at six years old and on and on and on. So I, I when you wrote this book, I felt like even for me, my experience of going to division one college and playing volleyball was so much easier than what Olivia had to go through at, to become a division one um, gymnast. So, right. and just even the process as a, as a parent, I want to ask your opinion about something. So a lot of times, you know, both my husband and I come from sports. So right. what's happened is, um, and we were not pushed at all. Like we were, you know, our parents were like, you know, they just didn't do that. And so what happens is, is when you come from a sporting background, um, one, you know, obviously one of two things happens, either you, this is what we do in this family and that's what you're going to do. And my husband Laird and I actually took a very different approach, which is sort of a hands-off approach, right. uh, because it was like, we sort of secretly really know how hard it is. So unless you really are gravitating towards something, we're going to expose you to stuff. Unless you're really gravitating towards something, it's really hard. And yes, I, I always tell my girls, I'm not your coach, I'm your mom, you know, and that's different. And, and I see parents everywhere that don't come from sports, but they, they're either living through their kids or they're pushing them. And I don't know that they actually fully understand uh, all that it takes to do such a high, to, to do a sport at a high level. And they just think they can push their kid into it. And I'm, and I, I really thought it was interesting. And I felt like when I read your book, so um, you, the two of you wrote a book together called Confessions of a Division One Athlete. Um, if anyone's watching it, I'll just put the picture here. And this is a picture of Olivia and there's beautiful pictures of her inside the book as well. And, um, you know, I got the impression from you that you were just supporting her. Like, oh, this is your thing that you wanna do. I'll just support you. It didn't feel like it was your, you were all fired up on her doing it. Uh, Gabby, I didn't know what it was. Um, Olivia's mom was a stage actress, a very successful stage actress. I was working literally seven days a week. So going back to some of your questions, I worked seven days a week. I had years where I took five days off. That doesn't mean five days along with Christmas Day and weekends. That means five days because I was working so hard. So when Olivia was little, and we did have fun writing about this, she was a nutball. She just was a ball of energy. Um, she was running around with that vehicle. I talk about that Fisher Price vehicle when she was seven months old on her tiptoes and she'd grit her teeth when she'd go into the corner and her mom and my mother-in-law at the time would have to teach her how to you know, move it out. So she needed movement. So we had her in, and again, we're city parents. So she had ballet on Monday, she had brownies on Tuesday, she had art on Wednesday, gymnastics on Thursday. You know, every afternoon, and this is a lot of the way it is for a lot of city kids, at least it was at our time, because we had to keep her moving. When her coach then said, may I have her twice a week? And we sat Olivia down and said, do you want to go twice a week? She said, yes, never even inhaled. Then the coach said, I'd like her three times a week. We said, would you like to go three times a week? Yes. 
So before we knew it, as we wrote in the book, we were taking her to the gym six days a week for three plus hour practices, but again, had no idea really what she was doing, except that she loved it. And so we encouraged her, but neither Ellen nor I ever, ever pushed her to do anything. On the contrary, we had, Olivia and I have had our biggest fights when she refused to mispractice. It's like, honey, I've got a big party for my firm. I'd like you to be there. No, honey, I, you know, we're supposed to go away for the weekend to New York. I want to take you and your brother to see some stuff. No. I mean, she, this is where she ran the show. She said, no, she was going to train. And for all of these years, that was okay. her passion. And so we just really gave into her passion. How do you, that's the thing. You, so you have a, you have, I would imagine by the time she's 10 or 11, this is pretty serious already. How do yeah. you, and we all have this, these moments that we have to trust our children, that they're seeing something about themselves or their life that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. So are you, do you, are you worried like, Hey, this kid doesn't have balance in her life or you're like, well, you know, at least it's something she's passionate about. So I'm going to give in like, where do you, you know, what are the conversations as a couple? I know you, you divorced when she was how old? Nine. Yeah. So you're still, but you're still, you know, doing this together. You know, what does that look like? You know, we kept our eye on her and she, her balance was the gym and training. So for her, Olivia has always been a decent student, always did her homework. We never once had to say, honey, have you done your homework? She was on such a treadmill, Gabby, up, breakfast, school, home, snack, to the gym, home, shower, eat, homework. You know, as I said in the book, lather, rinse, repeat. This is what she did. This is what she loved. And it's interesting now in going through the process of writing the book, she's a little angry at some of the stuff she actually missed in life. I mean, she went to one prom. She never went to a homecoming. No one knew who she was at her high school because she didn't play a sport for her school. They didn't understand what she was doing every day and leaving except for her very close friends. So she decided to make these sacrifices. And I say this so much, I want parents and the athlete, and even if it's a non-athlete, if it's a debater, if it's a dancer, if it's someone who loves art, if you're really going to go all in, I'm a gambler, so I use that expression, all in, you got to know what you're getting yourself into because it's just what she wanted. There was never a time where she really, truly thought of quitting, except one really um, rude coach uh, back when she was very young who was weighing the girls and yeah. it upset her so much that he was weighing and he made everything about weight. He didn't want to talk about ability. He didn't want to talk about the mental um, focus required. He talked about weight. And as a very little girl, she said, I'm out. I'm not doing this. Well, then she came home and drove her mother and I crazy. And so then we said, you've got to get back into the gym. That's the only time we really said, honey, I think, I think the gym would be a good idea for you again. And she went back and he was no longer there. Right. So it, I mean, it, I understand your question. Um, what I didn't know was how it was going to change our family dynamic and our life because literally our life revolved around her sport. Um, much as you may have read um, Evan's chapter to the not great feeling Evan had about himself for many years, you know, being the sibling of a star is not easy. And he really sent that home. Well, see that I wanna, I wanna go, go there a little more. I wanna go in depth because, you know, I don't even know, is it possible for a parent to protect 
a sibling or the siblings of somebody who is, you know, executing at this crazy high level. And by the way, most young people, unless they're in athletics and maybe some performers, because even getting good grades, it doesn't get celebrated externally the way some of these other things get celebrated. Um, right. You know, unless some kids like just, you know, are brilliant and they're like, oh, they're in college classes in ninth grade. How, how would a parent's help a sibling, support a sibling of somebody who finds something they not only like, but that they're really good at early. Most of us flounder around and it takes longer. Is there a way to, to protect them or support them or have another conversation to open up something like I couldn't even imagine? It's, it's the latter of what you said. You have to have a conversation. You know, what, what is something you would like to do? Um, we had an interesting situation with Evan that he really was a terrific artist. He went to special art classes. One of the teachers took a great liking to him. He was painting. He was doing sculpture. For my 50th birthday, he made a duct tape jacket, which unbeknownst to him looked exactly like Michael Jackson's um, jacket from Thriller. And unfortunately, got bullied at school and literally one day said, <clears throat> I quit art. And his mom and I were like, well, why? You know, you're so good at it. I'm not doing it again. I don't want to talk about it. And that was something we missed. We weren't aware really at the time of the bullying because he's not the most communicative. He's going to turn 21 soon. He's getting a lot better. Um, he and I have actually gone to therapy to help our um, relationship because we look alike, we act alike, and therefore we butt heads. And I think you've just got to really see how you can help that other child find their passion. He used to get really mad at me because I used to say, you're a big brain, Baba, you're just a big brain. And he said, I don't care about that. I don't like that. Don't say that. So I had to stop saying that, even though I was trying to build him up because he is really smart, but he just didn't like that distinction. It wasn't doing for him what the gymnastics was doing for Olivia. And that was rough. I think you bring up a really important point because you know, I have a kid actually, we're the same birth sign we, and we're very similar and we do butt heads. But if I, she's the opposite. Like I have a daughter that, you know, she, she's, she likes it if you, um, you know, congratulate her or tell her that you appreciate something she's painted or a talent. This kid doesn't want that. My other daughter doesn't really want that. So if I try to compliment her, like you saying, hey, Bobby, you have a big brain. Um, it's so funny. So it's like, how do we ask them? Like, you know, I've had to ask my one daughter, okay, so in what way could I support you? Because they can tell you all the ways how you suck and the way you're not getting it right. And I think right. it's parents, because parents are overwhelmed. Parents are working, you know, parents have never parented before. So we're, everything is new and we're sort of just, you know, there on the, by the seat of our pants right. is, is to not be afraid to ask our kid, even when they're like, get away from me and I don't wanna to talk to you, cause they do, they do wanna to talk to you, right. is to, to say, you know what, May, I'm, I get it, I'm not getting it right. Do you know of a way I can support you so I can understand better? Because I, I think that those opportunities are there, but we, on, we only know that till after we've gone through it. Right, I'm a big believer in the facts and the way I would approach things now as, look, you've got this superstar sister who is excelling at X. How are you feeling about that? And number two, what is a passion you may have? And if you don't have one, that's absolutely fine. But why don't we do some reconnaissance? 
Why don't we check some things out? Why don't we talk to some people? I always find it interesting, and I'm sure you and your husband find this as well, our friends and who our kids gravitate toward. I have a couple of friends who, and, and it's different for my kids, but I totally know that they so respect this person. They will talk to them more than they will talk to you. So definitely try to tap into those people and say, you know, my daughter thinks you're the shit, pardon me. And yeah. so that's another Karis expression we use in the house. And so can you help me here figure out what's going on in, in her mind, what she's thinking about, because we're her parents, we love her, but we're just not, we don't seem to be able to get the information out of her. So see if you can use your your village, because I do believe it, it it takes a village to figure all of this out. And so it's very funny, I'm doing a little um, sleuthing on you. I noticed that you were involved with a television show called Insider Training. And I sure you saw in the book that we have a chapter that's called insider training because sometimes a different coach sometimes a different person can be someone to go to not just the head coach not just the teacher but look around at who your team may be and they may help you a lot navigate where, what your child's thinking and get them on the right path i think it's really important too that we don't because i think as parents we so badly want to be all things to our children and i think the minute we surrender and go listen if my kid goes up and is uh, thanking everybody and they thank somebody more than they thank me who really sort of flipped their switch or got them on this path, just be grateful that someone was there in your village that impacted your child in that way, even if it's not you. Oh, 100%. And these parents who are jealous, I've had friends <laughs> of both of my kids because I we have the party house. We have kids here all the time. I love it. Um, I love the energy that they bring. And some of the parents have been a little you know, mm, sketchy toward me. Like I heard you had a talk with, you know, Bob about X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yes, you know, he brought it up. So I talked to him and they've kind of insinuated, you know, don't parent my child. And I've tried to say, you know, he or she came to me with an issue. So I'm trying to help them through it. I'm certainly not trying to usurp what you're trying to do for your child, but they do find different ways to gravitate toward different people. I think that is something, I, I find it a compliment. When my kids love someone else and they go to them for advice, great. I'm not the only person you can come to or your mother for advice. The other thing I do as well, I constantly have shared with my kids my struggles and my failures. I think as parents, just something we should not be doing is that we just walk on water and live in the clouds. I mean, we are real people, we get hurt. Um, people have hurt us. Um, we have had non-successes in life frequently. We need to share that with them so that they don't feel alone when they not, may not be succeeding at something. Yeah, I think that's so important. I wanna share um, something uh, really quickly. Uh, uh, Olivia created a formula where she said 40% of it was athletic ability um, and then and then 20% was competitive spirit and 40% was the joy. And in her case of performance. So maybe for someone else, performance would be competing and hers, it's like competing slash performing, Correct. you know, in a sport like gymnastics. And she said to her that equals success. And right. I think it's, a, that's an important formula because I, I, I believe that in, when you pursue anything, you know, I know tons, if you're talking about athletics, I know people that were not certainly the most gifted, but mentally 
so so tough or the passion for what they were doing or their ability to really like turn it up when they were competing so i just want to remind people that you know it, it is it, it is a bit of a of a pie that gets cut up so if if we're not nine feet tall or lightning fast or what have you generally we have other things and and so from very young olivia was successful and and highly yes. competitive i mean before her junior year i believe right michigan reached out to her is that right yeah, didn't you love that too? That they wrote us a letter um, in eighth grade after she won a national championship that the University of Michigan did. And Alan said, Jim, it is so nice. University of Michigan wrote a letter um, congratulating Olivia. And I said, that is so nice. Clueless that that was their, they were flirting with our daughter, not knowing how these scholarships work because Olivia was the oldest gymnast at her club trained by an Eastern European coach who has no clue about division one, two, three, or anything having to do with that. And so therefore we didn't know what we were doing. And when she got the scholarship between sophomore and junior year, I mean, it, it's a moment I will never forget. It was just so exciting hearing her on the phone with Scott Sherman when he said to her, so do you wanna be a Wolverine? I mean, uh, it, it was just amazing and seeing the look on her face. I mean, it was her absolute passion to compete for Michigan. That was her goal. In a sport like gymnastics, you know, the, the tricky thing is, and you say it too, it's like, hey, there's sort of two paths. You can you can do the elite and, and, and a lot of them do university and then the US, the Olympics. But the, but the hard thing is they're sort of not really for most gymnasts, even the, the best ones, an after college, right? And so I often wonder, and I'd love your take on it, is when you, when you peak, I mean, you're like these girls and and athletes are winning national titles at 16. They're win they're winning you know NCAA things at 18 and 19. And then okay, now you're in the real world and you're getting a job. There's something something that I have observed that feels really bittersweet about that, where it's like, you know, all this accomplishment, work hard, you know, achieve goals. But then there's something that is seems so tough about it because then you're like will i ever have that level of 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 not greatness of course they could sure but you it's, wonder it, like if after 20 the best stuff is behind you in certain ways i you know is that a big price to pay we talk about that all the time let me uh cover a couple of things with you gabby number one gymnast peak twice and i'm sure you as a, a young athlete as well when you're pre-puberty, I mean, you're Gumby. I mean, your body, the back bends, the things that she could do. I must add the lack of fear. And one thing I see from young gymnasts starting very young is they're not afraid to do some of that crazy stuff. And so she really did well through, and then she hit puberty. She fractured her back. She yeah. had body image issues. She became a woman, which is what happens. And as her body evolved and changed, she had to really almost relearn the sport. So she had peak one, mm -hmm. then she goes through puberty, then she really needs to rebuild. Olivia's got a lot of grit. And that's something that actually is, is in my family. And then she had to rebuild again, wrist problems, shoulder problems. I mean, you name it, we've gone through it. The specialists we've seen, the, the PRP injections, all of that to try to get her up to snuff to then be able to compete in club 
as a mature woman and then go on to compete for the University of Michigan. It's a lot of patching and it was brutal when she left. And I don't can't even imagine these poor men and women who got cut off at the knees last year when it was their final year and COVID hit and Olivia's teammates were in tears. I mean, they literally were seniors. They had their whole final season ahead of them. They had a competition and it was done. A lot of them went back for a fifth year actually because they just needed that closure on the sport. But Olivia had a terrible time because there's no time in gymnastics. Every sport is different. Gymnastics, you're in the gym 51 weeks out of the year. You don't take time off or it could be literally detrimental to your mind and your body, especially your body, because you could really hurt yourself. And so she graduates. And I think you saw the first chapter of the book is I'm going to be a cocktail waitress in a slutty red dress because yeah. that's the only job offer she got. We were there to dinner at that exact restaurant um, two nights ago and we laugh about it. But she really lost her structure. And this is the hard part for these athletes. All of I was talking about, about this getting up, the lifting, the school, the training, the competing, the getting on the plane or on the bus. One day that is just over. Yeah. And then in a week she graduated. And then in a week she left her home and her, her family at Ann, in Ann Arbor and came home to Chicago to live alternately with her mother and with me. And that's really where I got this idea. We had had the idea for the book, but thought, okay, I've got to give my baby some structure here. I've got to give her some purpose. So that's when we really started tinkering with this and toying with it. And it really helped her a great deal get through that hump until she did get her, her wonderful full-time job. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. It, you know, when we're in it and there's pursuit, it, it seems it's, it's so great. And like you said, though, she had every kind of injury and then an Achilles injury, and which is very, which is one of the toughest yeah. ones. Yes. One of the toughest, but it's like, it, sometimes we're in it and we don't realize in different ways. So you're paying up front because they're working their butts off. The family has, you know, rejiggered their whole life around them. The kid, right. you know, she, she broke her back and fractured her back in high school. Um, mm -hmm. And with the other injuries, but then we don't realize also that you pay after too. And sometimes you wonder, you know, in the pursuit, is it worth it? Great question. Um, I think for Olivia, in speaking about my child, it was necessary because that's how her brain functions. That's what gives her self-confidence and yeah. is, you know, all those words, self-actualization, blah, 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 all of that. That's something she really needed. Um, I think a lot of kids who don't have that passion actually may struggle even more because there's a sense that I really don't have a great love or a great interest in anything. What am I going to do? Because then they see people who are the big athletes, the big, you know, debaters. I keep saying this, whatever someone may do at school. And it's very competitive. And right now, more than any other time, I think it's horrible for these kids. Absolutely horrible between the Instagrams and everyone's happy and everyone's perfect and all the filters they're putting on. It's just a really rough time to really feel good about yourself because there's just so much to make you feel bad about yourself. I know. And I don't even know, you know, what, what to do about it. And I always say that I have a lot, I work with a lot of, you know, sort of ex professional athletes or co high level collegiate athletes. And 
and again, gymnastics is very unique in the amount of time that you have to do it. I feel like with other sports, they not only did they do other sports, but they just had more time for their life. Correct. So it's, it's not quite as extreme, but I, I, I do try to remind them that, and I have a daughter uh, right now who's uh, in trying to play tennis and she's in Spain. And she's like, you know, sometimes I really think about what it is I'm doing and it's stupid, right? And I'm like, totally. Like when right. I used to think about this in volleyball, like I'm crying behind a bleacher and I'm 25, I'm a woman. And I'm like, are you crying about it? Hit a white ball thing. But then you, you go, I say to them, it's just a matrix to know yourself, like what you said, to learn, to to get life skills, to learn how to work with people that you don't love, to push yourself into uncomfortable spaces. But I think if people think it's about winning and losing or being the best or a champion, I think that's the that ends up being the bigger issue versus you were in a grid, you were in a matrix that really taught you some very extreme lessons. And so I always try to remind those athletes you're like a loaded gun. You just have to figure out where you want to aim that thing next. Right. Oh, I like that. I agree with that completely. Well, I know that we talked about this and I was shocked in researching for the book when what happened was on CNBC, Squawk Box is, is, is my jam. I love CNBC because I love to trade stock. And they said when Ginny Romney, the former CEO, female CEO, and there's not a lot of them at right. IBM stepping down and literally one of the anchors said, we're going to have a lot of headhunters look around at former D1 female athletes in order to fill these C-suites, you know, the CEO, the top positions at these huge companies. And I have a, happen to have a client who's one of the biggest executive search people in the country. And he says to me, hands down, and I think this is cool. I'm not saying everyone has to do it, but he said he's 55. He'll be looking at someone to put them in one of the top positions in a corporation. And he said, the minute he sees that they were an athlete, and by the way, doesn't matter the D1, D2, D3, the minute he sees someone was an athlete, he knows this person has discipline, he or she, he knows they know how to get stuff done, they know how to take direction, they know how to work as a team. And he said, some of that early, early ingrained behavior that you learn through the sport can translate a great deal for the rest of your life. That I find a huge plus to any person, any child really wanting to pursue something with passion. It may really pay off, not just if you're the best at the time, but it may pay off with the life lessons you learn for much later on in life. And that's, and that's the whole thing, right? Is how do we get our children to be in as many environments to build out all those skills, like even the notion of taking criticism, right? When you when right. you're an athlete, you under you learn how to take criticism, and you actually learn how not to take it personally. I right. mean, you know, you it's an interesting thing where, um, and I know it's there, it's a little, you know, it's a little different, but I can only imagine in gymnastics because it's all about precision. Um, you know, the level of your ability to decipher information and just be like, got it, and not, you know take it personally. I actually heard that, I think a group from like, uh, I don't know, one of the big firms in Boston, I had a guy tell me the same thing where it was like, oh no, my boss looks for people that played college sports for that very reason. So we, we talked about how, you know, and I think this is really important for women's athletics. You know, we were weighed in, my coach, who is a very dear friend of mine from college, 
actually came back years later and she goes, you know, we blew that. We thought, you know, we got weighed in every Monday. And if you weren't in your ideal weight, if you went up two weeks in a row, you had to run. Okay. And so, and everybody listening knows that muscle weighs more than fat. And so it's possible too, especially as you're a developing young woman. I mean, I gained from when I went in my freshman year, I was 15 pounds heavier and I was not fatter. I was just a lot stronger. You know, you figure I went in at 17. It's like you're, you're become a, a, you know, more of a woman, but just reminding them, um, you know, and Olivia speaks very frankly, which I really appreciate about an eight month, you know, battle with bulimia when she was talking about her weight and not liking breast development and all these things. So I think it's just really important to be reminded the amount of pressure that these people are on. I had a girl write me the other day who was a water polo collegiate athlete. And she asked me for exercises on how to get her shoulders and lats smaller. And so it's this idea of none of us fit in do you fit in you don't fit in none of us fit in no and and you know and i said to this young lady i go if i came to you and said that you probably would say to me pretty cool that you're strong and you might want to just sort of enjoy it true <laughs> but it's but at the same token olivia's lats have not gone down and you know because you're an athlete and you do so many things in this area muscle has memory and she's like dad i have not swung on a bar in, all, in two years. What is going on with these lats? I said, they're just ingrained that yeah. they literally believe you're gonna get back on that high bar. You're gonna start doing giants again. Just give your body a chance to settle into its new routine and its new normal. But that definitely, it's so interesting you say that because she just says, I, I, I don't get it. She doesn't lift weights for her upper body. She does for her lower. She, of course, works out. But she's like, Dad, I can't. We did a pull-up contest once. She won. I think she cheated, but that's okay. Um, she still has such amazing upper body strength from all those years on those apparatus. It's just going to take time. Just like the weight loss, you know, you've got to give your muscle some time to atrophy as well because the body and mind, they're incredible how they go, go together. I'm a huge believer in all of that. And the whole neuroplasticity, this thing, I could geek out with you for hours. It just, the body and mind work so much in tandem. She's just got to keep telling her body, her upper body, we're not getting back on those bars, but it's just going to take time. And by the way, like when I see certain people, I was like, oh, they use their body. That's great. Like you see someone like Olivia and you're like, this person has used this vessel. Yes. No, I, I wouldn't be like, her lats are big. I'd be like, oh, this chick has been doing stuff. You know, like, <laughs> and I think we, we give that forgiveness to other people, but we don't give that to ourselves. I think it's, you know, it's so common. So you guys wrote this book together. And, and um, so definitely for a parent of, a, of, of an athlete, but certainly I really appreciate this, the specificness of this area because it, it is, it, it's sort of like, I hate to say it, but it's like the worst sport possible for girls because it's like weight, you're beat up, you're just you know training all the time, your whole life. So there's one element of it where it's the most exaggerated scenario of any sport. So I, I definitely encourage people if they're navigating this, if you, you know, and Olivia, besides obviously sort of maybe it being a cathartic experience to kind of write this down and share this experience as she moves on to the next adventures in her life, what do you think she was hoping 
to for people to receive when they when they read this book? I think they we really it was a mutual thing. We wanted people to get a really honest, raw impression of what you are getting into. And again, how it affects the whole family, how it affects your psyche. Your comment is spot on. What is it like when this sport that defines you completely and utterly defines you is over? And we laugh all the time when people say, well, Olivia, why don't you do some gymnastics on the side? She's like, you don't get up on a balance beam when you haven't done it six times in a day. You don't start vaulting around and, you know, getting on the bars. This is something that you're either all in or all out. Tennis player, you can play some tennis. You were a volleyball player. Hey, yeah. go play some volleyball a couple times a week with some friends and get together and have a blast. Can't do that with gymnastics. It is over. Just one day it's on, the next day it's off. And so, again, we wanted to try to prepare people for what that can feel like not feel that there's something wrong with you because you're lost, because you lost your purpose and your structure. But again, at the same token, give the positives of what came with it along the way. We really tried to be both positive and brutally honest throughout the whole thing. If you ask me right now, and Olivia was six and she went to the gym, would I let her do it all over again? It's 100% a yes. Would I have navigated the situation, the coaches, her brother, and some other situations differently? Absolutely, I missed it. And I don't want other parents to miss it. I want them to learn from my mistakes. Well, Jim, I, I, uh, I just really appreciate it. And, and I, I think, because I've had some situations in my parenting life where I was like, whoa, I missed it big. And it right. was all right in front of me. And I, and it's so strange because unless, you know, what was that, you know, that there's a great story of like, you know, some indigenous group on an island and the sh there's a ship coming, but they don't see it because they've never seen one before. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like in parenting, it's so hard for us because we care so much to look in the mirror and be like, how'd you miss that? Right. But I think it's so common and... Um, you know, I think navigating, it's its interesting. It's like navigating when a kid doesn't have a passion, has its own challenges, but also when you've got a kid who's full throttle into something and trying to help them walk that line, I think that that also has its set of, of challenges. Oh, equally difficult. I mean, they're absolutely equally difficult. And again, boy, I just say this all the time, you know, you're busy, your husband's busy, but nothing was more important to me than my kids. But I really tried to do my best and I really missed some stuff. So I think parents as well who read this have to realize what you're saying right now is just so honest and so helpful to your listeners. Yeah, I missed it, you know, not perfect. And, you know, so be a little bit more aware. And I do believe in the asking questions. I believe really try to engage your kids in a conversation because then you'll find out things. I learned with Olivia to ask her not about how she felt from the competition the day before, I would say, how does Gabby feel? You know, how does Lena feel? Um, how does this feel? As a way of getting to her, because she wasn't gonna tell me how she felt, but I felt if I went through the other gymnasts and got her talking, then I can get her more engaged in how she is feeling. But to go after her directly, she wasn't gonna respond. I had to learn ways to go around her. And that was, um, that was a challenge. And another thing I'll say about being a part of a team, which you were as well, wow. It's a lot of estrogen 
on that gymnastics floor, a lot of estrogen on that volleyball court. You know, it is hard to get along with a group of women all trying to succeed at a similar sport. And so, you know, she learned a lot about friendships and relationships and maybe some things she's learned to avoid in the future when the warning signs are absolutely the same of what happened with that other girl in that other situation. So that's a good way I think you can really try to choose better friends, uh, be more perceptive, see what's going on and then respond accordingly. I think that's something our kids really need to learn because it, kids are rough. Yeah, it's and you go through life like that. Okay, so my final question, and it was just inspired by what you just talked about. And I have I've carried a little bit of guilt um, or you know concern. My husband and I have uh, full lives, independent of one another, and even though we're together and we're always together, um, our family is together, time together. I sometimes get battled back and forth between oh I was supposed to give up everything to just be here to cater to my kids time and success and that so you hear it all the ways right like I was I was let's say I grew up more in a negligent home and so that's probably why I excelled then you see other kids that excel but the parents have literally given up everything in order to work around that kid's schedule and I, I've often wondered, I'm like, oh, was I supposed to completely abandon all of the things I was interested in? Like you had to work all the time uh, in order for, the, for my kids to even be more successful. So I always think that that's like a weird, you know, mix of things of like, oh, I've given up too much for them or I haven't given up enough. And um, you wonder like if they have a destiny, will they find it regardless? Like it's all of those questions Right. that I think is, is so tricky. Well, the answer to should you give your own things up um, to sacrifice for your children is an absolute hard no. That's Evan's uh, favorite expression. I mean, you have got to be a happy mother, a happy wife, a happy friend, a happy person to be, to be a good mom. I mean, you need, to, you need to have your own things that fill you up. I, I worry about women and I see it and again, I've been in this industry 34 years, who are that devoted, devoted, devoted mother. What happens when the kids leave the nest? No bueno, because you have not really worked on completing yourself. You've worked on exclusively completing yourself with your kids. And so I'm a huge believer that you have got to absolutely prioritize what you need because it's just going to make you a better person. It's going to make you calmer, less anxious, less depressed. You're going to feel better about yourself. Just bring some joy. Um, you just can't sacrifice. I really strongly disagree with that. And some people who would say to me when I was working in New York about 45 weeks out of the year, I'd leave every Monday morning. I was training Diane Sawyer and Hugh Jackman and yada, yada, yada. And they said, well, what kind of a father do you think you are? I said, when I'm home, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I am full on dad. And yeah. so I'm not just trying to make up for the four days I was out of town. I tell the kids, dad's got to work. Dad's work is in New York right now. And when I get home though, I absolutely devoted my attention. They were my number one priority because I hadn't seen them for four days. But so you can balance it. You just have to find a way to do it. I just, it's, it's an interest. I'm always, you know what I mean? It's a conundrum and I'm of service to my family 100%. They are at the top, but it is, I do see certain moms where I'm like, they, I feel like they've given up just about everything 
but I'm with you on that where you go, Hey, these kids are going to move out. They're going to get lives. They're going to, you know, be down the road. And so I was just curious about that because that is one that sometimes, you know, is always a question. So, okay. Right. So Jim, thank you for your time. The book is called confessions of the division one athlete is by Jim Karras and Olivia Karras. And maybe you guys will do another one. I know you said you're going to do a project at some point with Evan, but, um, you know, maybe in 10 years, she needs to do a follow-up to talk about sort of this new next chapter. And even just going from being college student and athlete to working force person in this day okay. and age. You're, you're, you're going to laugh because um, we spend so much time together. She's almost with me 100% of the time. And I said, honey, you ready for project two? And she looked at me and she said, are you out of your mind? And I said, no, I've already got it in my head. I know exactly what it should be. You know, it should be this and that and what you're feeling. She said, you know, Dad, I'm, I'm working in PR and marketing. I'm color commentating for the Big Ten Network. I'm doing press with you. I'm trying to get my life back to New York. She wants to go back to New York. I'm good right now. The problem is, Gabby, I'm the one who wants to do the next project because she's going to leave in like six or eight weeks. And I think a lot of parents may feel this way. I've had... COVID's been terrible in so many regards, but boy, have I had a lot of bonus time with my kids and it's been wonderful. So I got to get my act together um, for my next chapter now that they're going back to their lives. But the good news is they're both going to be in New York. So I'm thrilled that both my kids will be in New York City so I can go torment them once a month for three or four nights and take all their friends out to dinner. And that'll be fun. That'll be the best. Well, Jim, thank you for your time and thank you for thank your you. work and and um, now, you know, you're also a great example. See, I think that's another thing that's important is to continue the conversation like, okay, if we're 60, if we're 70, if we're 80, if we're doing some of the right things, we have, you know, vitality and, and um, we don't have to limit ourselves. That's my, my next push is all into anti-aging. I really have got a bunch of ideas because I think if we work the program, Gabby, you clearly are, your husband is, there is no such thing as allowing your body to just get old. If you tell it to be old, it'll be old. If you tell it to be young, it will stay young within reason. I don't want to sound ridiculous, but um, it's a great passion. I had no problem turning 60. Little, little shocking that the next <laughs> month they'll be 70, but I'm, I'm going to be okay. I got 10 years to stress out about that, so I'm going to be okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, Jim, sorry about that. I was late and thank you so much. Don't apologize. It's fine. Thank you thank so much you. for your time. I really appreciated it. Oh no. Great. I love to, you know, for me, I was trying to bring a little bit of your expertise prior and coming in uh, because the book is, is specific, but I think that there's elements into the messaging, even if it's like the sibling part, the, you know, all of these things that feel so important. So I really appreciate how thoughtful it was. And, and please tell Olivia, I said, congratulations. I will. And thank you for reading it, which clearly you did. I've done uh, thousands of interviews in my uh, career as a writer and it doesn't happen all the time. So this was a pleasure. Oh. Well, listen, I, uh, I've been interviewed a lot in my life and uh, you will get a lot more from me if you feel like you take your job seriously. So Agreed. So, totally agree. Thank you. Well, best of luck. Thank you so much. Yeah, You'd if be you well. ever need anything, I'm always an ally. Thank you. I appreciate that. Take care. Aloha. Bye. Okay, bye.
Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Monday.